Hello and welcome to Innovation Bites, the podcast where we take a snapshot of the tastiest and most exciting parts of the Australian innovation ecosystem. My name is Gavin Heaton. And my name is Lenore Johnston. Innovation Bites is brought to you by Disruptors Co., recorded at the Quantum Terminal on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. In this episode, we'll be casting our eye across some of the businesses participating in the City of Sydney's Business Innovation Accelerator program, and a little later, speaking with Tracy Hamilton about innovation in the fast-moving fash tech industry. But to kick us off, let's review the week that was. This week, like most, there has been plenty of activity across the innovation ecosystem. Spark Festival director Maxine Sharon has exited the company after the board was unable to secure funding needed to maintain a year-round program. This creates a significant gap in the innovation ecosystem, particularly in Sydney and New South Wales. Innovation Oz reports that Industry Minister Ed Husick has unveiled a safe and responsible AI in Australia paper outlining the regulatory and governance responses in Australia and overseas. The paper proposes tightening the frameworks for governing AI in this country. The federal government's Modern Manufacturing Initiative appears stalled with hundreds of millions of dollars in grants up in the air. And meanwhile, the Tech Council says 10,500 new IT jobs were created in the past six months. Good news, despite stories of widespread layoffs hitting the major tech players across the country. SECNA, the Social Enterprise Council of New South Wales and ACT, held New South Wales' first ever Social Enterprise Festival last Saturday. It was hosted by the UTS Business School right in the heart of Sydney and was supported by the City of Sydney. The festival featured inspiring speakers, interactive workshops and over 100 stall holders. Australia's biggest startup survey is back. That's right. Startup Muster has been brought back to life by Murray Herbs, University of Technology Sydney's Director of Entrepreneurship and the support of Atlassian Foundation and the New South Wales Government. After five years in the wilderness, it will be great to have a vital startup and innovation ecosystem data at our fingertips. Closer to home, the City of Sydney's Business Innovation Accelerator, delivered by Disruptors Co., has been steadily working through a program of live learning, business building, and one-on-one coaching. Gavin, tell me a little bit more about this. (laughs) Thanks, Lenore. Um, Of course, Funded by the City of Sydney and delivered by Disruptors Co., this program includes 21 businesses from the retail, tourism, hospitality and social enterprise sectors. And what's interesting is that we've been working through these businesses or working with these businesses that have been in existence for more than two years. So we're really entering a growth stage in their development and seeing where we can help them grow and uh, prosper. Amazing stuff. And I believe that you're about third through the program. Um, Tell me, what was the journey like up until now? So we kicked off with two days of boot camp. So foundations of startup, uh, foundations of business, and really uh, getting to know the founders and getting the founders to know each other, uh, which was fabulous. Then we jumped into digital skills because what we found was these businesses, while they have been in, in business for a couple of years, some of the foundations of their business were not in place yet. So we needed to work through their digital skills and their profiles in order to build them up from there. And then we did a big deep dive into marketing fundamentals. So when you're often kicking off a business, you'll find that the approach is to do what you know best, play to your strengths and really fill in the gaps behind there. But as a result, if you're trying to grow your business, some of the things you haven't done in the the previous sort of stages of your business, they don't set you up 
for launch and growth in the right way. So we're going kind of going back to go forward. Back to basics. Exactly. <laughs> and I had a look at the pro program and I noticed that you had some really interesting guest speakers. You recently had Kylie Flament from Secna who spoke about business with purpose, Katrina Dunn from the City of Sydney. We had Rachel Beanie on SEO, Steve King from Atlassian Foundation, Daniel Krug from TikTok and Luke Pearson from Indigenous X. So there's really some amazing speakers there. Um, what stood out to you? I'm glad you didn't ask me just for one. Um, <laughs> they, they were all fantastic speakers and we did choose them specifically for their expertise, but also their experience. And what I found with each of them is that they were able to bring not only a personal story, but a professional impact to the program. And it's something that the founders really responded to. So when Kylie was speaking about her history, she has um, an amazing corporate background, but at the same time, she is now uh, you know, CEO of Secna, and they are doing uh, an amazing amount of work to bring together the social enterprise sector in New South Wales and ACT. So that for purpose angle meets a you know a, a corporate um, mindset, but also with a growth attitude uh, in 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 both the founding of the I guess the vision for Secna, but also the activation of that business model um, underlying what Secna is doing as an association, but also what the social enterprise sector can do as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, and then that flows really nicely into uh, the work that uh, Luke Pearson is doing with Indigenous X, you know, as a as a purpose driven organisation, um, creating whole new media um, properties, envisioning a, a different role and style of future for people involved in the media, people involved in business and people involved in government and understanding how um, an Indigenous perspective and how racism, how um, structures of um, business and opportunity are either available or not available and bringing that to the fore through powerful storytelling and community engagement is fantastic. And Daniel with his work in TikTok and the TikTok for Good programs has been Massively eye-opening, but really also um, supremely gener generous in their in their insights and their thinking. And what I really loved about Rachel with her work on SEO and digital marketing was that she was able to bring a very practical, experiential approach to the businesses we had before us. And you know, we're talking about businesses that have been around for a couple of years, but have not really quite hit that growth stage yet. So very practical approaches that, when combined with that purpose focus. Um, with that insight and with that, I guess, that founder's passion um, can really take their businesses to new levels. And I guess that they they have a lot of experience to offer. So for the the startup companies, or sorry, not startups, but small to medium-sized businesses, it's really helpful. So in terms of perhaps maybe another angle about how um, those guest speakers, was there any feedback that they provided about what they thought that the business innovation program was doing for these these companies. Um, yeah, I think what was what was really cool about each of the speakers was that they were able to not just bring their own, I guess, expertise to the to the table, but they were able to think through what was being presented to them. Um, one of the angles that we found really fascinating in the speaker series as that's part of the program is that we were also bringing back alumni into the program. So we're inviting uh, some of the past business innovation program participants back to hear this in, these inspiring stories and speakers and to participate 
in a meaningful way with this new cohort, so cross-pollinating those ideas. And as they all started to mingle together, you know, have lunch, speak with each other, ask questions, uh, I found that founder affinity is really powerful. Um, you can see that they don't have to explain their business to yet another person. Um, often, uh, you know, everyone explains as as a founder, you don't you don't necessarily know what your job is because your job is everything, and it's twenty four seven. So it's not like you have a switch that you can turn on and off. And all of the speakers, all of the founders, all of the alumni, and all of the people in the room have that experience. So it's almost like a, a breathing a collective sigh of relief. And I think that's part of what we're trying to build um, with this program is not just um, knowledge and, and experience, but also an affinity and also a community of practice and supporters that can carry you through the, some of those rough times. It's incredible stuff. Well, I look forward to seeing how the, the rest of the program goes. I believe that we're going to have Tracy Hamilton um, come to speak with us about her fast check. That's exactly right. So Tracy Hamilton has been working with the Fashtech Labs concept for the last couple of years, and she's going to be joining us right now to talk about what she's learned, what fashion technology is, and how innovation is playing an important role. Kia ora, I'm Tracy Hamilton. I'm uh, the program manager for Fashtech Labs, a collaboration between the City of Sydney, the Australian Fashion Council, four amazing Australian technology companies and 10 emerging and established Australian fashion businesses. We're now into year two of a pilot program. Um, for the first year, we ran a series of experiments using a hybrid workflow, a workflow that had been established to really mimic a typical traditional fashion process in year two, what we've done is we've taken that same approach, that same approach to a really practical uh, workflow approach, and we've made some optimizations. So specifically for this year, what we're seeing is we're seeing some real advances in what the technology can do itself. So in year one, where we had certain um, inhibitions, where the digital fabric didn't behave in the same way it would if it was in the real world, which in gaming doesn't matter if you're wearing leather pants and you're the femme fatale in, in a video game uh you should be able to kick your leg as high as you can to take those baddies down but in the fashion world your leg will not be able to go that high otherwise you'll end up with ripped pants so actually textile physics is a has been a critical build in the capability of the technology stack this year the other thing that's changed significantly year on year is this year's cohort um, contains what we're calling um, Australian trademark fashion brands. And these are brands that are actually have taken on the official standards and signed up for the Australian Fashion Council's fashion trademark. It's a mark of quality and of commitment, but also cues that these businesses are significant and a lot of them are enterprise grade um, in scale. And where that's provided incredible opportunity for us is diversification of the problem statement. So all of a sudden, uh, from going from some emerging businesses last year, this year the workflow is being tested and flexed with 
um, some pretty heavy duty volume um, businesses that are used to throughputting multiple rounds a week, a day sometimes, but also different types of garments, um, which are, again, giving the technology and the fashion teams collaboration and learning. Interesting. So one of the things that I've found fascinating about what you were just saying was if I, if I was to think of fashion and then I was to think of innovation, I wouldn't mess, I would mess, I would usually think about it as a design challenge, but you're talking about the business and the underlying architecture of the way that the fashion business um, operates. Absolutely. And it's interesting. The, the impact focus for this program was to prove out digital's influence on the longevity and sustainability of the fashion industry. Now, you may not be aware, but fashion is um, second largest contributor in many countries when it comes to its footprint. And a lot of work is being done in what we call post-consumer waste. So that's the pressure that's being put on in customers like you and I to make the right choice, to shop our wardrobes and to rewear or recycle or to be really deliberate around our purchase decisions. Where this program is really powerful is it's taken, as you say, a business strategy lens, which is what does industry 4.0 look like and what happens when we apply transformative technology like digital to manufacturing um, and the back end of the supply chain. Now, you're not wrong when you talk about a design challenge because we're working with designers at the very beginnings of their conceptual journey. So the sampling part um, of fashion, uh, the fashion design business is actually when the designer takes their drawings, their sketches, their boards, and turns them into a very early draft. And that's called a sample. And what we've done with this particular program is to tackle that stage one, stage two of design and concepting, where you might normally get um, what's called a toile, which is a lightweight um, garment made up. And it's typically made in a vanilla sort of plain coloured fabric, and then you tweak it until you get the fit that you're looking for. And then you'll move into more sophisticated versioning with um, more expensive fabrics. And for clients that are working in um, very expensive uh, textures and textiles like, like animal leather, um, of course, that one cut that's the wrong way means often that entire hide or skin is wasted. So I'm sure you can imagine um, the opportunity of actually digitizing fabrics and being able to make those adjustments before you actually have to get your scissors out um, and produce a whole lot of uh, content garments and whatnot. It's like the digital, the digital twin for fashion. Well, funny you should say that. We call them digital twins. And uh, my favorite um, line from one of the technology companies is, infinite yardage so the opportunity of course is once that text texture um, or that print is uploaded into the software stack it can go on and on and on and on and on um, now it's not net zero it's not resource you know absolute because the simple truth is is it's operating on a lot of compute power um, but the difference between um, 
watering, growing cotton and yarn and hide, um, the resource intensity is certainly a lot greater than if you were producing a, a digital garment um, on a computer. Now, of course, this particular application differs from gaming um, and advertising where we do make digital textures and textures and patterns and whatnot when we're, when we're creating video games or ads or movies. In fact, um, any sort of vertical you can imagine right now um, is leveraging really incredible um, particular image-based technology. Um, in the day, early days of my advertising career when we would shoot um, the steaming casserole that came out of the oven, there was a lot of work to rig up smoke machines that looked like steam but were actually smoked. These days it's all done in post-production on the computer. Um, and so the difference between what's being done for gaming is that in fashion, there's still an appetite for clothing to be produced. Now, there is a growing um, interest in fashion influencers who are keen to wear digital garments and uh, some folks that are in the very lucky position of being a knowledge-based workforce where they can do all their job from a computer. But generally, humans are still wanting to wear clothes. So there is still a, a need to produce fabric and, and fashion off the back end of these processes. So for now, we're hoping that if we can improve the time, cost, carbon and uh, textile and water waste at the beginning, the fashion designers can then make more um, careful choices as it gets closer and closer and closer to that end of vertical supply chain when it hits the store, when it hits you, when you're needing to decide what garments you're going to buy um, to keep yourself covered. So, Tracy, I was just wondering, what kind of businesses would apply or go into a fashion tech accelerator? Certain, great question. It's a great question. The sorts of businesses that we're seeing um, tend to be emerging businesses with um, predominantly young talent at the helm, um, designers who have been using their iPhones and technology basically since they started producing fashion and so it's not a big leap for those sort of digital natives to, to jump in and learn more about how they can actually leverage technology across their entire stack. We're also seeing um, some of the largest manufacturers and clothing producers um, in category coming because of the pressure that they're under both from a consumer perspective to be more responsible but also because a number of these businesses are um, share held, they're also um, looking to do better and do more when it comes to how they respond to demand for circularity. And in the next few weeks, you'll hear even more um, from both the Australian government and industry about how um, business plans to respond to, to desires around um, textile waste and what needs to improve in Australia. Very cool. And so how do you see them and then therefore collaborate with them? So the, the, the collaboration is absolutely, um, if I was, if I go back to your first question at the top of the show, Gavin, about what's been a surprise, watching people come together to solve pressing problems has just fundamentally been the most delightful part of the program. And it was 
implicit, not explicit in year one. And yet we've flipped it on its head in year two, which is to move from a cohort into a community, a cooperative that's deeply engaged. Um, you might not be aware, but the fashion industry tends to be quite secretive and uh, closed door. No one wants to share. And what was incredibly um, exciting in that first year was to watch young designers coach experienced and very seasoned designers and share their observations going through the transformation process. And then here in year two, what, what we've had is all of year one's cohort have been banging on my door saying, please let us carry on. So this um, way of working as a collective where we've had businesses come together with industry to solve this problem is really different. Um, and typically internationally, these types of problem statements are solved by one large enterprise software company. But in Australia, um, we don't have the scale to be able to afford the types of international solutions that are out in the marketplace. And instead, what we've been able to do is to create democratisation and access by four individual technology teams coming together to create a connected workflow. And so nice. that's, you know, really just a very scrappy and interesting way of solving and it's also meant this really beautiful IP um, creation around the experience as well. So each technology company is a business in its own right. And of the four of them, th two or three of them are actually in funding at the moment, looking to raise to, to go global for each of their individual propositions. But by working together as a collective, they've also learned about where they fit in a workflow. They've learned about... Um, optimization of their technology and process by looking backwards and looking forwards. And so it's been really wonderful when you've got the first stage of the process is the creation of digital twins, which is when we're taking the textiles, the physical fabrics and weaves, and they're being scanned. At that point in time, the um, business that does digital textiles would normally work with mills. Now, in this process, they're also able to talk to the final person, which is the finishing artist, who is a digital designer who has incredible talent, that she's creating um, renders that are photorealistic. And so they're actually cross-matching skills and understanding, which is for the digital textures to be useful, they need to be as representative as possible once they hit um, the design software and it's been wonderful for um, as we talk about dynamic um, fashion is for the designer to share actually when you walk with this type of um, dress it's going to sound and behave like this in the real world and then the textiles team have then updated the mathematics behind their software. So it's been really cool to actually go, ah, oh, all along the program there's been learning through the collective. So we're devising and building in that diversity of experience and mm. the and 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 the the experience of the wearing, the physical wearing, and yet bringing that to a digital domain is pretty cool. Well, it's one of those things where you go, there's lots of um, application. I, Although this is a very clear um, industry-based case study, um, it's something that we brought to the attention um, of 
the Office um, of Science and Innovation recently with the new cabinet team under the Albanese government of what might industry and other industries learn from digitization of manufacturing supply chains, but also mm -hmm. most of all, the opportunity for a country like Australia, who's who has great ambition to achieve sovereign resilience and to be able to stand on its own two feet. The simple fact is, is a program like FashTech shows that if you work together, you can achieve some pretty incredible things. Um, and Absolutely. so different way in, right? And I'm kind of imagining that this kind of innovation, um, being able to bring in something like the way that it feels, the way that it looks when you're working or walking, um, and and the way that it um, a, a sort of fits on your on the virtual body even, uh, it brings a whole new dimension to the way that you might shop in the future, um, the way that you might try on clothes, and the way, therefore, that retailers would need to showroom and showcase their products um, in such a way that you know you may you may produce very short run um, uh, physical products, but produce whole ranges and variations on a theme um, in, a, in the digital domain in order to test that new market and whether the audience is there for it. Mm -hmm. I love that. I mean, the lateral application. Um, Australia is the world's largest producer of merino wool. Um, but we're also the second largest producer of cotton, and that's that's probably a bit of a surprise to a lot of people. If you think about all the different parts of your life where you might come into contact with fabric, whether it's bedding, soft furnishings, um, you know, your sofa, the floor and the furnishings that are in your environment that you start to go actually um, there's some translatable learnings whether we take it all the way through to the built environment where we're creating um, material science and building you know these incredible buildings with less or more um, material at the beginning of the prototyping stage um, or if we're trying to communicate the benefits of consumption so I can certainly see that some of these learnings could jump, you know, jump the frog uh, over into other into other categories. Brilliant. Well, that's been fascinating, Tracy. Thanks for your time. And I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Tracy. Bye. Bye.